Welcome to episode 60 of FRT. I still can't believe we're up to episode 60 already. But anyway, episode 60 of FRT, the IF podcast on the intersection of finance, regulation and technology. I'm Brad Carr, today visiting Toronto and our partners at Deloitte. And indeed, this is our second episode from Canada, but our first from Toronto, right back on episode 36. We were joined by former OSFI Deputy Superintendent Mark Zilmer in Ottawa when we talked about open banking. But today, I'm with Michael Tang and Juan Kim of Deloitte, who have just partnered with the IF on Realising the Digital Promise, an exciting new series of research papers on digital transformation in financial institutions. Michael and Juan, thank you for joining us and welcome to FRT. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. The first of our three papers has just been published on barriers and challenges in digital transformation. We've conducted a series of interviews, focus groups, roundtables with over 60 executives, in particular chief digital officers and some of their other C-suite peers from right around the world, including during the IAF annual membership meeting and some roundtables in Singapore that the MAS and Maybank kindly hosted for us during the Singapore FinTech Festival. While I'm delighted to speak with both of you today, I do want to give a quick shout out to our respective colleagues who have worked on this paper with us, in particular, Benit Kakar, Vienna Key and Malti Borgenhagen of Deloitte and Conan French and Dennis Forenzi of the IAF. Michael, let's start with looking at some of the external barriers. In our paper, we identified nine key barriers that firms face, but we classified those as as four external and five internal challenges, um, with some points of intersection between those that we'll get to. But to start with, could you talk us through the four external challenges? Thanks, Brad. This was definitely a learning experience. I mean, we all have hypotheses, but listening to some of the individuals actually express some of these challenges uh, was a learning experience for ourselves. The first one that was uh, first and foremost was around the inspector or the investors' expectations for some of these financial institutions are constraining a lot of a lot of the digital transformation efforts. And what we found out here is there's a much different and arguably lower risk tolerance with the shareholder community and investors in in some of these incumbent organizations than it would be, say, for example, some startups. The second area that was a big discussion area was around the inconsistencies of data regimes. Um, When you take a look at some of the universal banks, they're actually operating across many different borders. And to get some degree of consistency, understanding those constraints uh, was an interesting dialogue that we unpacked. The third one was around the fintech uh, community and the lack of the enterprise readiness for some of these organizations to actually work with some of the larger organizations, whether it was the ability to scale as well as integrating with some of the legacy systems as well as processes. And the fourth one that we explored and unpacked is really around potential outdated regulations, actually constraining some of the large organizations around their digital transformation initiatives. And the discussion talked about the difference between entity versus activity-based regulations. And I think also in that one thing that came through was the, the notion of perhaps a pivot from regulation to supervision. I thought it was it was notable that one chief digital officer put it that we're not looking for regulation to go away or to be lighter touch necessarily, but that it needs to be more agile and dynamic and perhaps moving from the hard-coded legislation that becomes very difficult and cumbersome to change to an emphasis more on the supervisory side that's able to adapt and move with the times as technologies change. Um, Comment on that, and I don't want to leak too much on the internal challenges, but quite often... Some of these regulations, whether it's supervision or not, is less prescriptive and it's more of an interpretation by the organization themselves. That led to some pretty good conversations. And I think that's a really good segue to perhaps then looking at the internal side and, and as we said at the outset, the interactions and the intersections between some of the internal and external barriers. Juan, if we look at the five internal barriers, I thought it was striking that the most prevalent one we heard about was talent. 
And I think we went into it with some expectation of that. We've heard a lot of people talk about the war for talent, the difficulty in securing the kind of new resources, the data scientists, the advanced analytics. But what we actually heard was was much more nuanced and specifically about the challenge of retention rather than recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on the topic of talent, what we really found interesting was the competition that a lot of the financial institutions are facing, not just with other financial institutions, but against you know fintechs as well as technology companies and other sectors and startups. In the digital economy, the type of talent that financial institution needs are changing from traditional kind of risk and finance-based talent into talent who can do design, who can work on data, and who can actually bring all technology and business together into kind of coherent value propositions. Obviously, those are highly sought after talent across the border. So what we really heard from a lot of the executives is the difficulty in not only attracting them. So how do you actually serve the creative freedom, flexibility, and the sense of purpose that the next generation of you know, the talent really requires from or expects from the workplace, but also on how to continue to grow your workforce, right? Both at the junior as well as the executive levels, thinking about you know, how do you continue to invest in their digital literacy, digital leadership to you know, continue to evolve their skill set, especially in a world where your talent requirements are evolving at a very constant pace. Mm. And uh, to your point, Brad, uh, really importantly, the retention was a big pain point for a lot of the financial institutions. A lot of executives actually mentioned that they are really turning into more of a apprenticeship model where a lot of great talent with technical as well as empathetic talents that are coming in they get trained on things like finance, quantitative skill sets, and you know, prudential judgment and ethical decision making, given the nature of the financial institutions. And you know, with that, they become more holistic and more lucrative talent yes. to the outside of firms, and in turn, really gets recruited by these external talent. It's really across the really the talent life cycle, thinking about how do you attract, how to develop, and how to retain talent probably was one of the key internal challenges that a lot of financial institutions are facing in transforming themselves. It was a big theme we heard a lot, this notion of, and you alluded to there to the, the sense of company purpose that a lot of these young talents particularly are looking for, but also that notion of the apprenticeship and that they get to work with advanced and deep data sets in a financial institution that might be harder to come by elsewhere as well as learning the ethics of how data is used or how it's expected to be used in a reputation-conscious, risk-conscious culture, as well as, I guess, the elements around protection and privacy and the expectations thereof. It probably does train up a young data scientist very nicely and, and as you said, perhaps make them a more lucrative and sought-after talent. Brad, I was just going to comment. One surprising conversation or data point that we had in Singapore from an individual was they described it wasn't actually a challenge to recruit talent. Mm. It was more of a challenge to retain talent. So that was an interesting observation. That was the piece that surprised me because I, I thought it would be both. But it was very clear, not only in that Singapore roundtable, but through a lot of our interviews, a very strong emphasis on the retention side. And, you know, when we unpacked it further, it was really around setting the right expectations. As you're recruiting talent, do you actually have enough size, scale and challenging work to keep those individuals, whether they join because of purpose or because they actually wanted to do this activity versus argue very generic data scientist work where it might just be making sure there's quality in data versus actually getting into the analytics. Yeah, yeah, the opportunity to use their creativity as well. Juan, I mentioned that there were five internal barriers. Talent that we've just talked about was the, the first and most prominent of those, but there were four others. Could you talk us through those? Of course. The next big challenge was around how to deal with the fintechs and the partners that are outside of the financial institutions. 
So almost the mirror image of the point that was pointed out as the external challenge. I think this one really stems from kind of the internal rigidity in how do financial institutions research and develop relationships and pursue partnerships with the external parties. And the main issue around you know, traditional vendor management lens kind of coming into play that really prolongs the process. We've heard, you know, at minimum, even in places like Singapore, to get to the prototype, it'll take about six to eight months. Right? So if you think about the pace at which the market's changing, the enterprise agility in dealing with these external partners is way too low to keep up the pace. The next challenge was balancing the financial institution's traditional risk DNA against their appetite to innovate and pursue change. Again, I think investor expectations around management ambition to meet short-term business objectives against investing transformational initiatives that may have very long-tail impact and outcomes. And the final one was around the regulatory burden. I think this one we've expected as we're going into the study increased regulatory burdens around kind of compliance activities as well as the prudential regulation, especially as we move into more principle-based regulation. I think it gives a lot of room for interpretation and a higher burden of proof, which really leads to insufficient budget and mindshare, both from kind of the executive's perspective as well as the workforce perspective, to really pay attention to and invest in kind of innovation and transformation activities. I thought it was interesting on that one, kind of through the life cycle of our project. Early on, we got some feedback around the level of risk and regulatory and compliance projects, kind of crowding out the available capex spend available for projects and leaving a limited scope, limited budget available for more proactive customer-led projects. But as we went through the, the project and interviewed more people, what we heard was it wasn't actually just about the budget side. It was as much about the level of resourcing of, of subject matter expertise available to help on particular projects and also management attention. Nedbank's Chief Risk Officer, Trevor Adams, spoke about this at the Risk Minds Conference in December, about the management attention being focused on particular projects and therefore having limited scope for others. And it kind of, I think we saw through the course of our interviews, kind of this conflux of the regular compliance project crowd out factor being mirrored across each of budget and management attention and of the specific skilled expertise that you're looking for. Absolutely. As we all know, uh, not a lot of innovation comes from overworked minds. <laughs> yes, a very good point. We've alluded in both the internal and external challenges there to the two different sides of partnerships. And, and Michael, I want to come back and, and delve a bit further into this. There is on the internal side, the notion of, as I was just telling us, banks that perhaps have older processes, risk and compliance expectations that are not as conducive for onboarding a fintech firm as a partner, for instance. But we also heard on the external side that you touched on that in a lot of cases, the fintechs aren't ready, that they're not scalable necessarily, or they're not enterprise ready, perhaps, to, to come on board and work with a bank or an insurer. And I thought it was a really interesting couple of observations there, noting that at the Singapore Fintech Festival, and I don't mean to dwell on Singapore too much because we've actually mentioned that a few times, but it is a, a world-leading site in innovation. At the Singapore Fintech Festival in November, I really took away probably as the number one theme, the sense of partnerships and that it's the financial institutions that are able to partner and that are getting themselves ready to partner with fintech firms that are the ones that are most likely to survive and thrive. But I thought it was really notable in, in our research here that we've seen both sides of these challenges come through. If you wanted to elaborate further on that. Yeah, I would start off with many of these um, challenges that we're talking about, the nine aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. So when I characterize this theme of discussion around organizational velocity, being able to understand why the risk appetite within an organization, when you introduce change, the natural 
antibodies that that organization will resist, whether it's risk legal and not to leak into the enablers, is how do you break down some of those barriers? One of these areas when you're introducing new technology, new thinking, new innovation through onboarding the fintechs is being able to, number one, externally for the fintechs or the startups to appreciate the complexity of integrating into a legacy organization, not just technology, but the existing processes. But on the flip side, internally, these organizations need to be open-minded that this a completely different perspective and new ways of meeting some of these challenges. So I think it's just at the beginning, and we're seeing different nuances ranging from 2015, where Silicon Valley and fintechs are coming to beat us at our own game, all the way to, say, the middle of 2016, 17, let's collaborate. Mm. Last year, we see a huge addition to the acquisition and say, we'll just buy them. But I think the organizations are really grappling with how do we accelerate the onboarding of ecosystems and not just the fintechs themselves in order to meet that organizational velocity where they can get products, services, offering, customer um, at a much greater pace. And I think it's a really critical piece, not only for the future of the financial services industry, but also for the economy at large in that you have a lot of great innovations that happen in new firms that start with a customer base of zero, that, that you need to connect those with the firms that have the extensive customer base so that those innovations can get into the wider economy. Otherwise, you've got great ideas that wither on the vine. Yeah. And then I would also add, like the challenges are like the customer's expectations of dealing with organizations are arguably shaped each and every day outside of financial services. So it's not a surprise that they expect the same level of transparency, customer service, because their expectations were met elsewhere. I think the need for partnership will also continue to grow as a lot of financial institutions start to infuse purpose into their organization, uh, shifting away from just looking at the products they manufacture into what customer journeys they facilitate, right? So now a lot of companies, a lot of you know banks, a lot of insurers are not just thinking about how do I you know issue a loan or issue an insurance policy, think about how do I help my customers buy a car and manage a car, right? And if you you know, frame your business in that broader journey, then obviously you really start to look at different ecosystem partners that, you know, can work together with the financial institution to create even greater value to the consumers. So uh, this point around how do we solve for better partnership models isn't probably just limited to, you know, how do I work with the competing fintech, right? Into in not, not just about how do I build better infrastructure with cloud and AI, I think it really goes beyond that into how do I build an ecosystem as, as, as we move into a digital economy. Just to build on that, what will be really interesting, you know, we often talk about policymakers, regulators, supervisors, but we're really doing it under the theme of financial services right now. So to Juan's point, once we expand beyond the ecosystem of just financial services through the lens of the customer as it transverses through different industries, now you're introducing other regulators in other industries that will likely have to be part of that ecosystem. Right. And hence, going back to our kind of fourth challenge externally around the need for consistency in data regimes, right? And thinking about how do we govern and how do we set the roles and how do we, you know, create the right boundaries for, you know, uses of data, sharings of sharing of data, you know, across sectors to ensure there is, you know, optimum value provided to the consumers while preserving the safety of the economy. Well, I think in that comment, one, you've given me a great segue then to, to move from talking about this paper and, and to what's coming. And before I make that segue, I should just say we, we do very much recommend this report to all of our listeners. Uh, on behalf of Conan and Dennis, my IAF colleagues, 
want to thank our Deloitte friends for, for what's been, I think, a fascinating exercise so far, and, and we look forward to continuing. And we've had some really great conversations with some of the chief digital officers from, from across the industry. But if we do pivot now to talk about what we have coming up, I mentioned that this is the first of three papers in this series. We're going to look ahead in our second paper to some of the success stories and success factors in what financial institutions themselves can do. And then beyond that, in our third paper, we'll look at the public policy agenda and I think uh, what Juan's just alluded to in terms of the data regimes and the need for greater consistency across sectors and across borders will be a key part of that. But Michael and Juan, you know, if I could ask you perhaps, what would you highlight to our listeners as to what they can most look forward to in those upcoming two papers? Yeah, without um, it's not really a spoiler alert, but the second paper is all going to be around enablers. But it's important to note that one size does not fit all. It's not like a you know a playbook or paint by numbers. So we're really going to also touch upon what we call like critical conditions for these enablers to actually uh, be true. I would like to highlight that probably a lot of things that we highlight in the second paper or the third paper will not work alone. A lot of the internal efforts that financial institutions will need to drive will need to be met with the right economy level and the policy level considerations as well. So I think collectively, what we really envision is really set of actions and recommendations that really cuts across the you know, various participants in the financial services ecosystem. Well, Michael and Juan, thank you both for joining us. It's been great to have your insights with us on FRT. If I can quickly highlight just some of the, the key points that you've run through. Firstly, I think across the, the suite of barriers and challenges that we heard, the nuance on the talent one and that it was specifically a, a more around retention, the expectations of perhaps a new workforce and the notion that you touched on about apprenticeships, I think is a, a really significant takeaway uh, from this report. The point about partnerships and you know, we've talked there a bit about the, the two sides of the coin, the mutual challenge between banks and insurers on one hand and their, their one hand and their fintech partners in how to realise and, and most maximise the value of those partnerships uh, in the ecosystem. Think, Juan, what you were just touching on about the critical conditions for the enablers, the things to ensure that the enablers, the success factors can actually be successfully implemented and realised and, and deliver and unlock that value, I think is a great thing to look forward to in our second paper. And the point that uh, we've each touched on about the data regimes that came through as one of the significant external challenges, but will also be a, a piece to look forward to as we come to our third paper. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Ahead on FRT, we'll be in Riyadh for the G20 Finance Minister's Meeting and the IAF Conference. Beyond that, we'll be back here in Toronto again in March for the IAF Digital Finance Symposium, once again here at Deloitte's Toronto offices. So we'll have our second Toronto third Canadian episode coming up very soon. Please join us for those upcoming episodes. I'm Brad Carr. Thanks for joining us on FRT.